If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. On today's episode of the podcast, I'm speaking with TJ. TJ lives in New South Wales with her gorgeous daughter, Baby Star. Welcome to the podcast tonight, TJ. I would love to start right back at the beginning. What made you decide to become a solo mum by choice? Oh my God. Well, look, it was never my plan. Yeah. <laughs> As you'll probably hear from lots of women. Um, I'm an absolute romantic. I spent my whole life wanting to be with a partner. I really did. I wanted to have the, not, not because of the picket fence and all that. I just really love being in relationship. And, and I couldn't imagine having a baby unless it came out of that love from a relationship man I loved. So just if you'd asked me at any point, even five years ago, would I have a baby by myself? I would have said absolutely no way. Even two years ago, someone said it to me and I told them, no, absolutely no way. And by the way, I'm 49. (laughs) (laughs) I I started thinking about having a baby by myself at 46 and a half. And I remember on my 46th birthday was when a friend of mine said to me something about, have you thought of having a baby by myself? And I shot her down. I was like, what are you saying? Then my partner's not going to show up. Like I was not open to it. I was the most closed person. So it's so ironic that I've ended up doing it and I've had such a beautiful time and now I'm the world's biggest advocate for it. But (laughs) I think I just was really attached to that dream. And I really tried, you know, I tried dating and relationship after relationship. I was always, you know, and, and then when my last relationship ended when I was, I think, 44, I, I still, I don't know, I've always looked a lot younger and felt a lot younger. So I didn't really take seriously the age thing. And I didn't really know enough about fertility to realise that there really was a limit. Because, you know, here are all these celebrities getting pregnant in the late 40s. And I thought I had them in the late 40s. So I was not even, I never even got my fertility tested until I was 46 and a half. Right. So it's just like years after everyone normally does it. So I broke up at 40, we broke up at 44 and I was just dating, 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 thinking I'll meet the man. And then the reason that it all changed when I was 46 and a half was, I don't know, another debacle happened with some man I was seeing. It. Mm-hmm. I had just actually, I've got a, a YouTube channel that I've started sharing about my story and I've actually shared this, this moment in one of my biggest videos on the channel, so about 10,000 views, the moment when my whole life changed when I suddenly realised that I opened to this possibility. And 
basically what happened was my sister, who's a single mom, not by choice through a divorce, mm-hmm. um, who has a little beautiful little girl who I adore, and they were staying with me and I was cuddling her and I kept having to hand her back to my sister, you know, and I was like, it's not, it's not enough being an auntie. It's, I just realised it was not enough. I dropped them at the airport, some drama happened, some guy I was dating and he broke it off. And I, I just remember I was walking to the front door and I thought suddenly I had this like lightning bolt moment. It's the only way I can describe it because I've been feeling the spirit of this baby for years that it wanted to come in. And I suddenly thought, what if I'm getting in the way of this baby trying to come in because I'm so attached to doing this with a man? It was like, oh, what if I'm actually blocking this baby? I just had this like radical 180 degree shift. Yeah. So what if this baby wants to come in a different way? What if the baby's already been born and they're wanting me to adopt it? You know, what if it's mm. a foster kid and it wants me? What if it's actually wanted to come in through IVF? And I just like, it was just like my mind just opened like a million percent from being completely closed. And I actually opened the door, went inside, went to my computer and started researching adoption, foster care, IVF, like I said, all night. And that was that was the night my journey started and it started very, very late. I know most people are trying this from 35 onwards, but I was 46 and a half, hadn't even had my fertility test. So that's really what happened. That's really like the kickoff of the whole thing. The kickoff. So, yeah. So you researched all night and... Research, 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 and then I started looking into everything and I I realised pretty quickly that I was too old to adopt. As a single woman over 40, it's almost impossible. Oh, okay. Um, So I pretty much realised it was never going to happen. And then even overseas, it's it's pretty much impossible. If you're not in a couple, even if you're in a couple, it's very hard at that age. But, you know, I was over 45, so I was almost, I I wouldn't have got a kid. Um, it could have taken years, but then and I did look, went to some seminars on being a foster parent, and I just realized that the likelihood is that you know you'll look after the child for a few years and then give the child back to their parents. And I just thought, no, I really want to create a lifelong bond with the child, it will break my heart to give the child back. Yes, I will be helping if I end up never having a child, maybe I will become a foster parent later, but I just realized yeah. I have to try first. And then I thought, well, I'll get my fertility tested. Everyone says I look 35. Maybe my eggs look 35. <laughs> By the way, you're looking at me now. I don't look 35 because I've never had a baby. But if you'd seen me before, I was pregnant. I really looked very young. I've yeah, aged 10 years baby. as well. Don't worry. Having a baby has aged me. It's been amazing. But anyway, yeah. So I thought, you know, fertility tested. I'm assuming, and I was super healthy. I'm assuming I'll be fine. And so I walked into a doctor, which clinic? Well, I think it was City Fertility. So I went to City Fertility on the Gold Coast and it was, as I said, the first time I'd ever had any tests done. Yep. And the tests all came out really good. You know, it basically showed up my eggs were good, my ovaries were good, my my um, uterus was good, everything was good. But he showed me this graph which was really dire of, like, the chances of success with my age and it just showed this, like, line and then it just dropped off to almost zero. <laughs> she was like, you're at almost zero. It's basically zero. And I was like, well... I don't know, I still feel like there's a chance. <laughs> and he did tell me that they had some donor embryos in the clinic. And I remember thinking, well, I was looking into adoption. If I took a donor embryo, that would be essentially like adoption at the absolute earliest possible mm. moment. So I was open to it. But I just felt like deep down that I had to try with my own eggs. Because, you know, because as I said, I did look young, I did feel young, and I was very healthy. And I thought maybe I'll be that point oh one percent And I just felt someone like- has to be. Exactly. And I thought I just have to try, you know, I have to try. I had a very healthy lifestyle. And I just, I didn't know if those things affected it or not. So I thought I had to try. So I, I just then went around to all different clinics trying to see if someone would do IVF with me at almost 47. Because at that point, you know, some time had passed. 
and no one would. And I remember I flew to Melbourne because I'm from Melbourne and I went to some clinics there and they were like, no, 44 is the maximum age. It would be fraudulent for us to take your money. And I was like, wow. So then I started looking into some clinics in America, which did older women, IVF with older women, and they did a thing called mini IVF, which is a different type of IVF. And I should probably mention it in case there's anyone listening who is a bit older who's, who's considering who wants to try with their own eggs. It's a form of IVF that's much gentler and they only stimulate your hormones enough to get one egg each cycle rather than many, many eggs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's much lower doses of hormones and they have found it's better for older eggs. So I was gearing up. I was literally talking to this clinic in New York, getting a passport ready, the whole thing, the whole thing, the whole thing. And I thought, I've got to find a doctor in Australia that can be my point person to do all my tests and everything here because, you know, there's a long lead up for it all. So I found this doctor actually in Brisbane. I've forgotten his name now. I've actually gone blank on his name. Um, He was at, what's the clinic called? Queensland Fertility Group, I think. Mm -hmm. And I've totally forgotten his name. He was really, really great. Anyway, so I had a Skype call with him. Um, I think it was about March. What year are we talking about? March 2020. That may sound like an interesting date. For you may. Yeah. <laughs> I have made a video on my YouTube channel about my IVF journey, my first IVF attempt that I'm telling you about. It's like a roller king movie. <laughs> the story is so roller cool. I'll try and keep it short here. By the way, if anyone's listening, you want to see that video. The channel's called My Baby Dream. My Baby Dream. Yeah, so I've made made like a series of like telling the whole story of my first attempt. So I'll I'll keep it short here because I have told it there. But um, basically the the amazing bit was I was talking to him to set him up as my point person and he said to me, why don't you just do normal IVF here in Australia? I said, because no one will do it with me. I'm too old. He said, I will. And I was like, wow, okay, well, um." okay and he said when's your next period we should start soon because you, you got to get it done and I was like I uh, started today and he's like well then we're starting tomorrow and I was like what <laughs> like right. I, I can't start IVF tomorrow I haven't even researched IVF because I've been researching this thing called mini IVF so I was just I had to set this mad rush anyway to cut a long story short I started IVF the next day and it was just mad rush with no real it's not like I've been planning it for years you know I, I never thought of ever doing it so it was just craziness and I was like Driving to Brisbane, choosing sperm donors, you know, getting injections. I got that day as well, you would have had to. Yeah. The next day, yeah, the very next day. And that was the week that COVID started. Mm -hmm. So as I'm in Brisbane getting, choosing my donor, sperm donor, and getting, you know, learning how to do injections, we see on the television the border between New South Wales and Queensland is about to close. And I'm like, what? Oh, it was just honestly, it was so crazy. Because remember that very first week, no one knew what it was. No one knew how serious it was. And um, I remember, no, that's not actually accurate. I think it was that later in that month of the IVF cycle when I was about to come up to Brisbane to do the egg retrieval, that's when we found out the borders were closing. So I was like, oh, my God. So I drove back to New South Wales, packed everything, was like driving up to Brisbane the day before my egg retrieval, ringing Airbnbs, trying to, like, find somewhere to stay, and I ended up staying. It was the first lockdown. So I went under I went under anesthetic for my egg retrieval, and as I came out of anesthetic, I was lying in the surgery, and the doctor said, "You will be my last IVF because the government has just stopped all IVF procedures." It was like that was how dramatic it was. I was like in this in this quarantine Airbnb, the very first week of COVID, like all by myself with this embryo me, like crying and feeling so grateful and feeling like it was such a miracle. How did this happen? How did I end up here? How did I get to be the last person doing it? You know, like the whole thing felt like rainbows were it. I felt I was so certain it worked, but it didn't work. So it was quite devastating. But 
It was really devastating. But at the same time, I'm really glad I tried because I felt like if I hadn't have tried, I would have always wondered, could it have worked with my own eggs? And, you know, like I'm really glad that I tried it. I think it was really important in order to enable me to move on to donor eggs. Yeah. Did they get many eggs in the IVF cycle? Yeah, they got like four eggs. Oh, wow. Four good eggs. And then they, they started to do the embryos and they got they got a good they got what looked like a good embryo. Yeah. I mean, obviously they don't do genetic testing in Australia, but it looked like a good embryo. It was, yeah, there was one good embryo that came out of those four eggs. They put it in me, but it didn't stick. So it probably wasn't normal. But who knows? It might have been only 50% of things stick anyway. So maybe I could have tried again. But at that point there was no more IVF. Everything was a lockdown. And it was, the decision was kind and, of made for you. And I felt, I felt on some level relieved because being at that point about to turn 47 and I had a lot of friends, 40, 41, 42, 43, who'd had miscarriages and I knew that I was really rolling the dice trying to do it. I would have been the oldest person ever in Australia to get pregnant IVF if it had Oh, really? Yeah. So, like, it was a real, real roll of the dice and I actually felt I got away with it because I didn't have any reaction to the IVF hormones. I didn't go through a miscarriage. I didn't feel sick after the just It just didn't stick, you know, like... If it's not going to work, I had the easiest path to it not working. Like it yeah. didn't really leave any consequences. And I was like, I, I felt like, shit, I got away with that experiment because <laughs> it could have been really dire. Yeah. You know, I have, I've, I've had friends who've had stillbirths, older eggs and stuff. So it, it could be horrific. So I felt really lucky. And if anyone listening has been through that, my heart goes out to you because it's awful. My best friend went through that. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. So I felt really, really grateful that I kind of got away with that experiment and the other thing that really hit me, I made a video about all the things I learned from that IVF experience, but one that I'll share here is that in the moment when I found that it didn't work, there was no part of me that felt relieved. So I, I could have easily gone, oh, you know what, I didn't really want to do it by myself. Well, who was I kidding? I didn't really want to do it at this age. But I actually didn't feel that. I just felt like, no, I'm going to keep going. Yeah. So that's when I really knew I'm definitely wanting to be mum. I don't care, you know, I am. if I have to even do surrogacy. Like I just knew I wanted to do it. That was really clear. Yeah, there's but, a few people who have been through that when it doesn't work. They just yeah. have been like, this is solidified that this is what I'm meant to yeah. do. Yeah, because yeah. if I felt relief, I would have gone, because I had a great life. I didn't need to have a baby. I mean, I wasn't like, I wasn't like one of those people who like, I won't be happy without a baby. I didn't feel that. Yeah. I always felt there were two parts and they'd both be happy. The path with a baby, the path without a baby, they'd both be amazing lives. I'd travel and have a million adventures, do all these projects I want to do, you know. I would have been fine, but I just felt, I didn't feel that relief. I, I just felt, no, I really want to do this. So it was, it was good that I went through that. But that's when we were really fully in lockdown everywhere in Australia and there was no flying. And at that point, you could only use a donor egg if you went overseas. Mm. So the road was at an end unless Australia opened its borders. And you all know what happened. It didn't open its borders. So I basically said to myself, this was in, so the, that IVF attempt failed, I think, April, start of April 2020. And I said to myself, well, I will give myself to December. I won't think about it because I don't think we're going to be able to fly this year. And when we get to December, I will make a decision then yeah. what I'm going to do. If I'm going to somehow try and fly with quarantine restrictions and pay millions of dollars to get a ticket because at that point tickets cost so much back then it was impossible to fly. There were no planes going anywhere. So we got to December 2020 and to be honest, I hadn't thought about it all year and when anyone had asked me do I still want to have a baby, I said to them I actually can't feel it. I don't even know because I kind of shut it all off. I shut it off. I couldn't feel that yearning at all. It was just gone. I turned it off. And we got to December 2020 um, I really remember there was a moment when 
suddenly realised every month that I put this off is a month I'm not going to get to spend with my child at the end of my life because I'm going to be an older mother. Yeah. And I just, it just got me. Like I just cried and I thought, what am I doing? I'm missing out months with my child. I won't leave this any longer. So in December 2020, I was like, I am doing this. So I started looking into flying to Europe in the middle of COVID with all the borders shut and there were no flights. And you could do it, but you had to pay a gazillion million dollars and go into quarantine and all this stuff. And I found a clinic in Russia that was the most amazing clinic. Actually, they were a turning point for me because they're a clinic run by women. Mm. Everyone who works there, including the receptionists, are all women who've done something to do with IVF. And their mm. website was absolutely amazing. I think it's called Olga Clinic, O-L-G-A, if anyone wants to go there because everyone wants to look there because they have all these resources about egg donors and egg donation. And I just read their whole website and I learned more from that than anywhere else I read. And they had a lot of emotional support and free counselling and I took them up on that. And it just really, really helped me in the coming to terms with using, letting go of my genetics. So I'm always really grateful to that clinic. And I thought of all the clinics in the world, this is the only one that offers any emotional support because mm. most of them are just like it's money and men are in charge and it's just very clinical. But this clinic was really loving and I was just like, I'm going there. <laughs> so I started looking into going to Russia in the middle of the Russian winter. I mean, it was crazy stuff. I would have had to cost an absolute fortune in COVID. I would have had to stay there for months in case it didn't work. Anyway, so I went on this Facebook group for single mothers by choice that I'd been, you know, browsing on for years. And I wrote this post. This was the next life-changing moment. Am I crazy to go to Russia to <laughs> do donor egg, do egg donor transfer in the middle of COVID? What do you all think? And everyone was like, you're crazy, you're crazy, this is crazy, crazy. And then one person said, I don't think you need to do it. I'm pretty sure Australia's changed the rules and you can now import eggs into Australia. Mm. And I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> so I got straight on Google. You understand, I've been planning to go to Russia. I got straight on Google. I type in don't bring, importing eggs into Australia. And you know what came up? Chickens. You ready for this? <laughs> City Fertility, the very first clinic I ever went. I was going with chickens. <laughs> City Fertility had just changed their rules. They were around the corner from me, like 40 minutes away on the Gold Coast. I ring them up. They said, yeah, you'll be one of the first person people to do it. So I've gone from I have to go to Russia, spend months in the middle of Russia, in the middle of quarantines, men of fortune, in the middle of winter, to I just have to drive down the Gold Coast. Wow. Yeah, so it was just, it was just suddenly seemed like a very easy path. And to be honest, from the moment when I found that I could import eggs, it has been a very easy path. I had a very easy time. I found beautiful donors I loved, had an easy pregnancy, I've had an easy birth, I've had an easy postpartum, I've got an easy baby. So it's kind of like I was, it was all difficult, 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 difficult until I made that decision and because it was obviously what was meant to be. And since then it's just been, like, lovely and easy, yeah. So that's really the, the whole story. I mean, I could tell you the rest of it, but that's really the whole story of how I ended up in Using so I used an imported egg, which was from the World Egg Donor or World Egg Bank. And did you My, get like a big list to choose from? Did, is it the same sort of information as donor sperm, or what did you go oh, through? Okay. So like that because so, well, I haven't had anyone know, who's had that before. So oh, okay. Well, donor sperm because so many men donate sperm, the sperm banks are all competing against each other. So who can give the most information? So as you know, they give you everything: audios and essays. The egg donor websites do not are not because there's so few egg donors so they don't need to compete with each other like you're lucky if you can get an egg so you don't get hardly any information it's not the same yeah. it's not equivalent so I know much less about my egg donor than I do my sperm donor and I had much 
small amount of choice. Um, I couldn't find anyone who looked like me or anything like that. But I just found one, my, but my number one issue was, my number one criteria was that I wanted to be young egg. That was like, because I was like, if I'm giving up my own genetics, I want to guarantee a really most likely easy pregnancy, like as if I was 22. Yeah. So I actually used a 22-year-old egg mm-hmm. and 24-year-old sperm. And from that moment, I made that decision. I just knew it was going to be an easy and it really was. Now, it might not have been. There's plenty of 22-year-olds that don't have easy pregnancies, but... I did have a very easy time, so I, I always wonder if it's at that. Um, and when, yeah, you're, when you're, I guess, purchasing the donor egg, are you getting, do they do a full cycle and then send it to you? Is it a, they're a bank of frozen ones? And you there's loads of different ones? ways. To, there's loads of different ways. depends on your clinic and what the thing is. I, I purchased a, a package which basically guaranteed you two good embryos. So basically what happened was okay. um, the sperm that I chose was through an Australian Australian clinic city fertility but they also use American sperm donors and the American sperm donors I don't know if you know this but you get way more information about the American sperm donors than the Australian ones and there's just much more choice and I was very drawn to a donor who happened to be an American one from Seattle Sperm Bank and I just adored him and I still do he's just everything I could have ever wanted in a donor and um and I actually also really like my egg donor even though she doesn't look anything like me I really like her as a person she's very very sweet I could tell what I could tell very musical and just creative anyway um and so basically they flew the sperm to the world egg bank the embryologist at the world egg bank put the sperm and the egg together and I was in contact with him we were writing each other emails he was so sweet it was really lovely and because so this is one thing I want to say to women I made a video about this on my youtube channel too about how to set up support for your IVF journey but one of the things I did was I started a Facebook group right at the start of this journey, even before I even did my first IVF, because I knew that I was going to be doing it by myself and I don't have any family in the state where I live. I called it my baby village group. And so the great thing about that was I could do, I did a post when I found out when the insemination was happening and when the fertilization was happening. And I said to all my friends, everybody send love to Arizona, 9am tomorrow, the sperm and the egg are going to be put together, they're going to make embryos. And like all my friends around Australia and around the world sent love to the exact same time. So it was really beautiful. And I was writing to the embryologist and it went really well. So the package I did guaranteed two good embryos, which would mean that if the first attempt failed, they would get more eggs from the same donor. And if they didn't work, I think they would use a different donor. I think okay. it's sort of guaranteed up to that amount, but you had to pay extra for that. Yeah. And I'm glad I did it because for me, everything's everything in my life is about ease and peace of mind. If I'm calm, everything in my life goes well. So I'm always happy to pay more if it's going to give me peace of mind. One of the reasons I made the decision to stop using my own eggs was that I knew that it would give me peace of mind if I used a young egg. Yeah. And it did. I was very relaxed in my pregnancy, whereas I know if I'd used my 48-year-old eggs, 47, 48-year-old eggs, I would have been very nervous really would have been during my pregnancy. I would have been constantly wondering if I was going to miscarry. So I just never had that thought when I was carrying a 22-year-old embryo. So it definitely brought me peace of mind. Um, so I was really lucky. So I actually made three good embryos out of that first attempt with those, oh, the six eggs. I purchased the six eggs. Three good embryos. I actually still have two spare. Mm-hmm. I just don't know what I'm going to do with. So don't ask me that. Um, yeah, so, so then... It was interesting because they they created these embryos. They created them in America at the World Aid Bank, Arizona. That was in February 2021 or April. No, maybe April. Can't remember. No, I think it was February. February 2021. And then they flew the embryos, the three embryos across the world from Arizona to the Gold Coast. My baby was the only person who flew 
I met you. <laughs> I'm impressed that you could flew. you could get her here. And that nobody time. else flew. Wow. Nobody flew. So she flew. I was making jokes to everyone when I was pregnant. Like this was the only person who traveled this. Yeah. <laughs> so it was amazing. Had to do an IVF where you got to do a million hormones. It's so exhausting. All I had to do is drive to the Gold Coast. They put embryo in me. Like it's literally like getting. There wasn't even a medicated cycle to support the transfer. It was just natural. Um, I think from memory, I was still ovulating regularly and everything, and I was very healthy and not young. I seemed much younger than I was in terms of my periods and everything. So no, I just had a natural cycle. I didn't do any hormones. Um, I just had to use a little bit of progesterone. Um, you know. To make sure it's the joys of pessaries, yeah, yeah, that, that's all. But I didn't have to do anything else, so it really was like really easy for me for, on my side of things. So yeah, it was amazing. So the whole did you feel pregnant pretty early on? I feel like you're someone who's quite in tune with your body that you probably knew before you did. I the had test, a you? very interesting experience because I did not feel anything during my whole pregnancy. I had no morning sickness. I had nothing. So I just felt normal the whole time. So in my body, I didn't feel really anything until she, and also I had a, what's called, um, what's it called? I forgot all the words now, when the placenta's in front, so I couldn't feel her kicking. Yes. So I just had this bizarre pregnancy where I really didn't feel any different until I got really big. And then obviously you feel different because you're carrying a giant football in your stomach, giant basketball. But I did have a very deep knowing that it worked. So I had like a psychic and spiritual knowing, but I didn't have really any physical proof of it. But I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew it had worked. I just knew it was going to work. I knew the whole time it was going to work once I choose these donors because I just, when I saw these two donors, I just, I just knew I was supposed to pick them. It was really, really clear. There was no other options. They were the ones that I just, it was like there's a light shining on them. I was like, I love him. I love her. Um, I just, uh, you know, my sister made a joke. What if one day they meet through you and they get married? <laughs> because <laughs> yes. they're both the most beautiful humans like in terms of they're just generous kind caring people i just think oh they're both so sweet i really chose my donors more on personality than on health or looks or anything because 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 in australia the requirement is that they're open id your child could meet them when they're 18 my whole thing was am i going to send my child across the world to america to meet some gun-toting Republican, like, no. <laughs> and, you know, especially growing up where I'm living in Mullumbimby and Byron Bay and Land, like, my poor child. So it was always about are they open-hearted, generous, kind, empathetic people. That was my my main criteria more than really anything else. And I really felt that those two donors were beautiful. They were actually also beautiful looking and everything, but that wasn't my criteria. That was sort of yeah. incidental. So that was yeah. going to be one of my questions of whether they were open ID so that... Yes, well, it's compulsory in Australia. Compulsory in Australia. You have to use open ID donors. So I I figure, like, you know, it's funny, like, when you're choosing a sperm donor, especially someone like me, he's such a romantic. I feel like I've gone from choosing from all the men in the whole world to every man on every dating side of the whole world to just, like, these six men because you don't get many choices. But then then when I think about it, for anyone listening, you know, if you're thinking of using a sperm donor, this is the thing, right? In Australia, the rules are so strict. Your sperm donor has to have donated without getting any money paid to him. They have to be willing to do two counselling sessions and they have to be willing to be open ID donors. That basically makes them the nicest humans on the world, mm-hmm. right? So, like, you're choosing out of the six nicest people in the whole world. You know? So I feel like it's actually an easy thing because they've just narrowed it down to the nicest humans. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because what, what sort of person, especially eggs, what sort of person donates an egg with no money? It's a huge thing. They're basically doing a round of IBM. Yeah, mm-hmm. having egg retrieval surgery. They're going under a general anaesthetic. 
that's a big thing to do just out of the goodness of your heart. So I knew this girl must be the most amazing person, you know, because she's done it at the age of 22. That's really young, yeah. No, she's not even had kids. She just knows she doesn't want to have kids and she wanted to give this gift to someone. I'm so grateful. And in some ways the fact that I did my own IVF cycle actually makes me appreciate her because I did go through that exact thing that she went through. And I think that's one of the reasons why, in retrospect, it's really good that I did it because mm. I really know what she did. <laughs> I really know that gift. Gives you a bit more empathy but, for what she's gone through. To Yeah, because I did all the injections and all the shots and the surgery and the general anesthetic and the whole thing. So, yeah, she's amazing. She's amazing. So it just worked and I've been very, very lucky. Very, very lucky. Easy pregnancy. Yeah, yeah easy birth. First attempt, easy pregnancy. I had a cesarean, but it was a very easy whole thing. My waters broke. I thought I was going to have a planned cesarean, but um, she came early, which was good because I was always thinking, God, I don't want to bring her here before she's ready. It's awful putting things planned cesarean water. She's not ready. She actually came ready a few days earlier. So I just had one day of a little bit of labor. And I can't even remember why now we decided to do the cesarean, and it was fine. I had a really easy recovery. Yeah. It's just been beautiful. I <laughs> so lucky. She's the sweetest little angel, this baby. She's so gorgeous. And honestly, I feel like in some ways, I don't know if this is true of everybody, but I feel like doing it as a single woman by choice, your atmosphere in your house is so calm because there's no one else there. I think it's very conducive to having a very calm, stable, settled baby. And especially, you know, because most women doing this are very intentional about it. They really want to have a baby. They're so committed. And especially if you are older, if you're over 40, especially if you're over 45, like you don't have any FOMO. Like you've done everything you can do in life. You've travelled. You've had a million affairs and adventures and projects and works. So it's not like I'm feeling like I'm missing out on going to parties or I'm missing out travelling. I've done all that. So the thing I haven't done is cuddle a baby all day. So I'm just 100% present with her. Like there's no part of me that wants to be anywhere else. And I think she's just receiving 24-7 attention and love. And so as a result, she's very easy, calm, settled, stable, securely attached baby. And I feel like if I, even if I had a partner who I love and we didn't have any arguments, I'd still be wanting to give him my attention. I'd be wanting to have conversations with him, have sex with him, go out with him. And the baby would be losing out because of that. And, and in some ways, I never, ever thought this because, as I said, I always wanted to do this with a partner, but it's ended up being much, I think, much easier. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it's amazing because everyone goes, oh, you pulled thing to yourself and I think to myself, you poor thing doing it. <laughs> it's like... It's like all the mums from um, daycare or mother's group, whatever, that complain that they have to solo parent for a week and how hard it is. It's like, why? What are you talking about? I did a, vi- I did a video on my YouTube channel about um, what it's like being the only single mother in your mother's group. And I did a video, one video about the, how challenging it is, the challenges of it, and one video about how fantastic it is. Yeah. <laughs> and in the challenges one, I talked about that. Like they say things like, yeah, I really know what it feels like to be a single mom because, you know, my husband was away last was... week. <laughs> I just I'm like, right. Mm-hmm. Yes, that really compares with being solely responsible for another human for the rest of my life. Yeah. But, I, but I feel you. But the positives of it were, you know, oh, my God, I'm not having to juggle and balance everybody's needs like they are. They're balancing three people's needs 
And yes, when the babies are one and two years old, they're not in breakdown yet. But I've got a lot of friends who ended up single when their children were older. Yeah. And those went through breakups and divorces and custody disputes and conflict. I feel like my child has been spared all of that drama. And if I do meet a man later, it would be just drama free because he doesn't have any entitlement to the child. <laughs> yeah. And to be you fair, know, you don't have a lot of free time, so they're going to have to be pretty amazing to be allowed into your life in the first place exactly, as well. That's exactly. You've got to be ruthless. Your standard's going to be way higher than anything. I mean, I spent years writing a book about dating, which I'm going to be publishing soon, and I feel like I won't even need that book now because, as you say, I just don't have any time unless they're the world's most amazing human. <laughs> and it's like, and you don't feel like you're missing out on anything because you've got that perfect little other half as it is. So. Yes, I know. And you're cuddling, I'm cuddling all day, especially my baby's only just turning 10 months this week. So I'm still in the real cuddle zone. So, like, I don't need cuddles. I don't need sex. I don't need anything like that. I'm still breastfeeding. So my hormones haven't switched back on, I don't think, for relationship stuff anyway. I feel like that would be hard having to try and meet a man's needs when you're breastfeeding and you don't feel sexy in any way you just feel really cuddly and sweet and babyish mm. like that would be really hard I think it would be really hard to have to deal with that, that person's needs I don't have to deal with any of that as neither do you do you know so, <laughs> like if anyone's listening ironically I always thought it'd be hard because I'd want someone to share it with them. my number one reason I really really didn't ever want to do it by myself was nothing to do with someone helping me financially or someone helping me look after the baby. For me, it was always about I'm somebody who loves to share my feelings and my thoughts and listen to the other person. I really thought I'm going to want to share every single moment that happens with someone and it'll torture me if I can't. And so because I knew that about myself, because I had nine months to prepare, I set up, as I said, my Facebook group and I post, I post every little, I used to post every little thing that I don't now, but I used to in the beginning and I've also done a digital journal and I and I share, I write a page every single day. I do a page with pictures and everything that's happened in that baby, mm-hmm. my baby's life that day. It takes a lot of time and I'm always a month behind, but I do do it. And that helps me to express myself. And then I'm making a YouTube channel, which I'm sharing all the ups and downs of the journey and I'm expressing it with that. And then I always call my dad and my sister and my best friend. And like I just have found a lot of ways to get that need met. And for me, that was my number one thing. Everyone's going to have a different reason for or different thing maybe that they need to find solutions for. Like for some women, it might be they needed a second person financially or a second person to help them emotionally or any of that. For me, it was just about the sharing. So you just got to find other ways to get those needs met through other people or other outlets. And then honestly, the advantages of it is so So is it what you thought it would be when you thought, I'm going to have a baby by myself or is it? I never really thought, I never really fantasized or anything or imagined. I just always had a very deep knowing that I would be blissfully happy. And I, there's two reasons why I had that. One, because of my mum is going to make me cry because my mum has passed. And she didn't get to meet my baby, but she passed three years ago just before all of this. But my mum always told me that I was the easiest baby. In fact, the exact way she described me is how I describe my child. So it's really interesting. We're not genetically related, but this baby is so similar to me as a baby. It's bizarre. Yeah. But my mum always said, oh, you're such an easy baby. You basically burped yourself. You basically changed yourself. You played all on the floor all the way. So I didn't have to do anything. You were so easy. You never cried. You're happy, happy. Oh, baby, it was so easy. 
And so in my sort of programming, I didn't have all the fear of raising a child that a lot of people have because I'd always been told how easy it was, how easy it was. Now, bear in mind, I wasn't told that, my, that the second child was easy because my sister was very difficult. <laughs> Sorry, if I have a second baby, I don't have the same programming. But yeah. the programming I had for one baby was very, very good. And then my sister, as I said, is a single mother. She has a daughter. and you know, I had a daughter. And they are absolute best friends. She has the easiest child. They have the best relationship. She's eight now. Like she's never had one challenge with her. The challenges involving with the partner and the divorce and all of that. But with the actual child, they're like the dream team. And so I've seen that for eight years. And so I just always knew it was going to be beautiful and easy. And it has been beautiful and easy. So, you know, as I said, I'm a very romantic, optimistic person. <laughs> but I also had those double programming coming into me that, especially when I found I was having a daughter because, um, you know, seeing my sister with her daughter and me with my mom and I was so close to my mom. And I just know, especially as a single woman, if you're, especially if, if you've got a lot of female friends, you like to catch up with your female friends. Having a daughter is easy because you can bring your daughter along. The girls will love the daughter. And so I seen my sister do that with her daughter. She brings her everywhere and it's easy. And I don't know, like I was open obviously to having a boy. And if I'd had a boy, I would have found other strategies, but, I just like the degree of difficulty went down for me a lot when I found out I was having a girl. So, yeah, it's it's it hasn't been harder than I expected, and I expected it to be easy, but it's actually been easier than I expected, and I'm really lucky. So I basically, I like to have everything planned in advance. I'm like that. Like for me, everything's about peace of mind. So I'm not – I am a spontaneous person in a lot of ways in my life, but with this, I spent the whole pregnancy preparing yeah. Like I'm talking about every night when I went to bed, I'd spend two or three hours sitting in my bed on my computer researching stuff, whether it's baby products or things I was going to ask for or how to breastfeed or how to raise a child. Like I just prepared everything as much as I possibly could. And obviously you can never know what a child's going to be like. But one of the things I prepared was lots of support. I had prepared people to come to my house and help me. I had prepared people to bring meals. I prepared all these things. And as it turned out, I didn't need any of it. Mm-hmm. So that that was a surprise that my baby was easy and I actually just wanted everyone to leave me alone so I could just be my bit of visible. But I think the fact that I had organised it all was part of what led me to be so calm, which probably helped have a calm baby. So I actually think it's really good that I had all that. And you never know. She could have got sick. I could have got sick. You know, you could have had a difficult birth. I could have had a difficult recovery. I'm really glad I had all those things set up. Yeah. As it turned out, I really have had a very lucky first month so far, other than getting COVID and had a couple of weeks that were difficult. Obviously, that's challenging. But apart from that, when we were both sick, it's just been lovely. And I guess the thing I didn't anticipate was, I mean, you never know when you're using a donor egg how you're going to feel about the child, but I just, I love this little person, like, you know, even if someone just handed her to me and I hadn't carried her and given birth to her, I just love this little child. She's just really sweet, really happy, really funny, just gorgeous looking, just so sweet. Her nature is so sweet. Like I just absolutely adore her as herself, putting aside even that she's my child. Yeah. And I don't think I was expecting that because I I just didn't know the genetics, you know. So I just didn't know, is she going to be smart? Is she going to be sweet? Is she going to be funny? Like, what's she going to be like? I can't, I don't have any family reference from my own family. Like, you know, if it was my own genetics, I'd probably maybe have some assumptions or some knowings what she might be like, similar to my sister or similar to my mom or similar to me or my dad or something. But I just didn't know because you just don't get that much information. Yeah. So that's been a surprise that she's turned out to be just a little sweetheart. 
you know so I'm really really crazy about her so that I think that's the bit I mean everyone tells you you never know what love feels like until you have a baby but it's so true and the only way I can describe it because I was someone who was very happy before all of this started as I said I was very happy with my life I like my work I like my friends I like where I live you know I'm very happy within myself I've done a shitload of work to get to that point I wouldn't have been like that 10 years ago but you know, I'm 49 and I've done a lot of work on myself. And I, had a, I really was at a point, you know, losing my mum, which was the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And I came out of that and I found my joy again. I realised nothing can ever shake this joy. And so I was at this point before I had the baby. So I really didn't think I could be happier. But I've got to tell you, and I know you understand this, I feel like before the day she was born, my life was in black and white and now it's in Technicolor. That's the only way I can explain it. Like, I'm so happy, and I, I'm probably hormones from the breastfeeding, but I'm so happy. Like, I'm just on oxytocin panel, but I've hardly left the house because where I live, it's a flood region. We had terrible floods up here, and, you know, and then there was COVID, you couldn't go anywhere. And, like, the first six months, I hardly left the house, and I didn't care because I was having such a good time. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to leave the house, and right. it was probably you a year over. almost, but oh it was the best God. thing I could have ever done. Best thing, yeah. yeah. For you, for the best thing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And my sister was in lockdown in Melbourne for two years with her little girl. She had the best time. Yeah. You know, That's so if you get along with your child, it's beautiful. Now, I obviously know there are some children that are difficult. There are some women who have difficult births and they have difficult postpartum. I'm not saying everyone's going to have that experience. You may have physical challenges. You may have a child who's got reflux or who's sick or all of that of course can happen but if you're healthy and your child's healthy and you do this as a single mom like in many ways it's a lot easier yeah. when you don't have to argue with anyone over this or that yeah. i mean yeah, i guess for me the time. only the only downsides of it that i can see at this stage are well i don't know how i could ever date again because when am i going to get time <laughs> putting that aside like I don't I haven't yet figured out how i'm going to ever like go out again at night or anything like because, like, for example, my sister, who's a single mum, not by choice, she has a co-parent, so every weekend she gets to give her child to someone for a couple of days and she gets time. And almost everyone I know in this region where I live is a single mother because most relationships don't last in this area, but yeah. they all are co-parenting. So I've got so many friends like, oh, I can't see you this week, but I can see you next week. And I'm so used to that for decades with all my friends that I'm realising I'm not going to have that. Like, I'm not going to have that. So that's... That's the only challenge for me is, like, because I don't have any family in this area, I don't have grandparents who could babysit or anything like that. But that's my challenge, how I'm going to build in people that I feel confident enough, that I trust enough that I would be happy to leave my child with for an evening or an afternoon on the weekend or something so I could ever get a night off or a day off. So I haven't had any time off yet. I haven't wanted it yet. I may, I may never want it. But if I do one day want it, you know, it's quite possible I won't want it because this child is so adorable. I love being with her. At some point I might want to go to something. So that's really, you know, that's really the only downside. But I've I've recently hired someone who's helping me three afternoons a week for three hours around the house and also eventually she'll become more of a nanny when I need that later when my child's that's running around and stuff. At the moment my child's just starting to walk a bit so she, I don't need that yet. She adores the child. My child adores her and I feel like I'm setting her up as someone who probably could babysit because she really knows her well and they all love each other. The moment I'm still breastfeeding, so I would never leave her with someone, but when we finally finish breastfeeding, I feel like she would be perfect. So I'll sort of groom a few people for this role. 
because I like to plan it ahead. But well, yeah, you become like me and you become the master entertainer and everyone just comes to you. The baby goes to bed at seven and then you carry on. Well, I've always done that my whole life. In Melbourne, everyone always came to me here. Everyone comes to me. I've always had people over. That's That's very good. You make Uh, it work. You're very adaptable. Yeah, look, that's what I've always done my whole life. So that is a good idea. But I'm talking about if there's things I want to go to, like certain events and things. I used to go to a lot of you know, singing nights, I'm a singer, I used to go to a lot of chanting nights, there's lots of things like that, workshops, festivals, obviously can't go to anything like that. But, yes, I'll just bring everything to my house that I possibly can. Yeah, we'll take her to the music. Mm. At the moment we haven't really attempted going out at night yet. I feel like maybe the other downside, and this could just be my personality, but I feel like maybe the other downside is the, the women I know who've got partners, and that's basically every mother I know because at this age where I live, no one does IVF. It's a very rural area. It's a very hippie area. So in my mother's groups, I'm the only one in all of them. Yeah. And so they all have partners. And the main difference is I think because they've got a second person, they can be a bit more adventurous. Like they, they go hiking or they go traveling or they go camping because they've got the guy and he can set everything up and she just carries the baby I don't have that, so I haven't done anything like that. Like, I've just been at home the whole time. But I'm also not that adventurous a person, but I definitely would only do that if I had a second person to help me. Mm. It's just not. But then I know a single mother in America, by choice in Melbourne who literally backpacks around the world with two babies by herself. So that's also personality type. But I know for me I probably would only feel comfortable to do that if I had a second person. Yeah, and in Victoria but, there's a big group of solo mums who all go on like camping trips and things together as well. Oh, that's so, so I beautiful. just went to one in Anglesey and there was, I think it was 20 mums with all their kids. Oh, that's beautiful. Maybe I'll do that because I've got to go down to Melbourne to visit all my family. So maybe I should book in with those people. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it does sometimes make me think maybe I should move back to Melbourne because there's not much community here. But I have, I've met one woman here who's a single mother by choice also in her family. She's about an hour from here. So that's pretty close by these standards. Yeah. But, yeah, it's definitely not as much of that. Um, but also I've connected with some, I don't know if anyone else you've interviewed has had this or if you've experienced this yet, but I've connected with a couple of the donor families who've used the same sperm donor as me. Oh, already? Wow. Yeah, okay. and they're in America. They're, yeah. they're in America, two families in America. Um, yeah. But there is actually one in Australia who's contacted us, but I don't know anything yet about them or about the child, but that's exciting. So if if I can somehow connect with that person in Australia, I think she's just in Queensland, that would be awesome. Okay, yeah. So I really need to reach out to her again and see what's going on. But um, the two women in America, we've been writing to each other a lot, sending lots of pictures and stuff. I don't know if the kids will ever get to meet, but it's very sweet. Have you been able to contact anyone? I haven't yet. I know that Lexi is the oldest and she had one other sibling and one was on the way. So she's the first from our donor. Over summer, I need to get around to filling in the forms because in Victoria they have um, a proper agency that facilitates all of the... Is yours all local donors, Australian donors? Oh, because yeah. in America, there could be hundreds of them. I mean, it's so in just... Victoria, when I did it anyway, they couldn't do international donors. It was only clinically recruited. So, Look, honestly, I don't know how many siblings there are going to be because mm. yeah, there could be like 25 in America and 10 here. So it's a lot. Yeah. So we'll find out. But that's that's a beautiful thing as well. And I don't think I'll find anyone through the egg donor side because it's not like when we get a million eggs. Um, it's probably only me and maybe one of the family Ooh. that will yeah, I don't know how to find that out. But for the sperm donors, you know, that's another beautiful thing that I think comes out of this. If you're open to it, that you can create really beautiful connections with some people that you might never have met otherwise and have a bit of an extended family as well as your own family. Yeah. 
their own blood family. So that's really nice. I really like that. So you obviously did lots of um, research before you had your daughter. Is there any other advice that you would give anyone else who's pregnant or just coming into this journey? About what? About how to set themselves up for success, I guess, like you did. As a single mum by choice, um, I would definitely get your cheer squad together. Mm -hmm. So get your friends. I was very open from the beginning. I know some people are not open, and especially if these are egg donors. I just wanted it to be normalised before my baby was born. So I just taught everybody. was always very open and never made any drama about it. Never was just like, yeah, he's an egg donor. There was, that, there was never even a comment by anybody because the way I said it was just so normal. Yeah. So I definitely, I definitely recommend that approach if you're using egg donor. But even just for a sperm donor, just to normalise it really, really early on. So that all your people are on your side, um, I would definitely line up support, postpartum support, whatever postpartum support you can get. If you have family, obviously you've got that. But if you don't have family, I would, you know, find some people whose numbers you've got or even book them in for the first few months. One of the things I did, which actually was fantastic, was I didn't have, um, I didn't do a meal train where people drop around food because where I live is the middle of nowhere and if they've driven all the way to my house, I'm going to feel bad if I just take the food and say goodbye. <laughs> I'm going to feel like I have to welcome them. So what I did was instead of my be- at my belly blessing, because I had a few different belly blessings, so I wanted to have a lot of friends supporting me, I always asked everyone to bring a dish and then I froze them all. Uh, so yeah. when I gave birth, I had a freezer full of a gazillion meals before I gave birth. So that was part of my preparation. So I didn't need any meal train droppings in or anything. So I definitely recommend that approach. Um, I recommend if you are someone who likes to research, to just research products and have the stuff you need i've actually just made a video on my youtube channel which i'm going to upload this week on the the, i think it's like the 10 newborn products that helped me most as a single mom because there were some things that really helped me and i'm going to do videos for the three to six months and the six to nine months and the nine to twelve months too so yeah check that out um the channel's my baby dream um but yeah i I wanted to share that because i i just did so much research and i found some really good stuff i just felt like for me the thing that's helped me as i said is because i research a lot it keeps me calm. So I always try and research for the following stage, not the one I'm at. So yep. I always try to be like three months ahead. So, you know, if I know she's coming up to needing solids at six months, I'll start researching that at three months. So by the time six months comes, I've already got all the plates and the little baby forks and I've learned about baby led meaning and I've done the course. And, and I just did that at every stage, whatever is the next stage, to try and be ahead. Because then it means when the stage hits, I'm chilled out. You know, so that's just me. You know, I've got other friends who never researched anything and they winged it the whole way and they were fine. But for me, I definitely, if you're someone who likes that kind of thing, I recommend doing it early because, yeah, like one of my friends, yeah, like for example, I've got a friend, the other woman I know who's a single mother by choice, I only know one other in this area. She's just frazzled at the moment because her kid has started calling and she's got nothing set up in her house. Was I months ahead, got a giant playpen and put, you know, baby gates everywhere, baby proof the whole house, knowing this kid is going to crawl soon. Yeah. I have to be ready. So when she started crawling, it was easy because it's all ready for her. So I really recommend that. If you're not going to have family helping you and you're not going to have a partner helping you, you've just got to be a little bit more organised. Mm-hmm. And in a way, the other mothers who have partners don't think this way because they always think they've got their partner to help them. Often the partner doesn't end up helping them and then they're in a right mess because they didn't prepare 
Whereas when you're a single mother by choice, you're forced to prepare. Yeah. So you're actually often in a better position than those mothers who are counting on the partner and the partner doesn't do it. And that will, so, I think, be life forever for us. We just have to be that bit more organised. You just have to be that bit more organised. You know, like if you want to do anything and go anywhere, you have to just be a little bit more organised. Yeah. So my tip is to be organised a few months ahead at every stage. Very good advice there. Yeah, and just just trust because, honestly, I feel like our babies choose us and I knew this baby was coming in for years. I could feel the baby and I was speaking to the spirit of the baby and I already knew her before I met her and she is such a little angel. And if you're feeling this yearning within you to do this, it's a it's a big path, you know, it takes a lot of determination, especially if you have to do rounds of IVF. If you're being called to do this, there is probably a baby wanting to come in. So, you know, just keep going because you might have to try something different. And the other thing I would say is open your mind because I've got a lot of friends who are in their mid-40s, early 40s, mid-40s, and they're trying IVF, trying IVF, trying, and they're just not open to using a donor egg. Mm. And they're going to give up. And I'm like, well, what? Have you seen my baby? Have you met her? She's a sweetheart. Have you seen how close she and I are? I wouldn't feel any different about her if she was my own genetics. Like I totally feel like she's my baby. I mean, I created her. She's had my thoughts, my energy, my nervous system has upset her nervous system. Like she's very similar to what I was like as a baby. So I just feel like um, don't limit yourself by being attached to genetics. This epigenetics are very powerful. She even looks a bit like me in her colouring. Like you can switch on genes, switch off genes. It's just like being given like the starter kit, you know. Yeah. It's like it's like everybody gives if you give the same people, 40 different people the same ingredients, they're gonna cook a completely different meal. You know, so I just re- that's one thing I'm really passionate about telling women, like, don't stop just because, you know, you think you're too old or exit order, it's not working, IVF, you know, you could always use an egg donor. Or if you're in a partnership and your husband's sperm's not working, you can always use a sperm donor. If you really have to, you can even use a surrogate. So just I, I feel sad when I hear people not open to it. Because mm. if I'd been not open to it, I would have missed out. And I nearly did miss out because I wasn't open. You know, I had to have that thunderbolt moment. If that hadn't happened, I would have missed out on having a baby. But so glad it did because now you are blissfully happy with your life. I'm blissfully happy and I just really want my story to get out there and other stories like this to get out there that it's okay if you're older. And the other thing, it's okay if you're older. Like I did a video on my channel the other day about what to say if people say you're too old to have a baby because I was getting some negative comments on my channel. Like, oh, my God, it's child abuse to have a baby at your age. Like, have you seen my child? She look abused to you. Like, you're the happiest baby on earth. But I did a video about that because, you know, I just feel like there's a lot of myths about this and really the bottom line is what a child needs is not a parent to run around and kick football with them. That would be nice if you can do that, but you don't have to do that. The thing that a child needs is your attention. They need your love. They need your engagement. They need your presence. They need your wisdom. They need your love. And you can do that at any age. If you have to hire someone to run around and kick football with them, you can do that. <laughs> but, you know, the other thing is, you know, as a single mother by choice, if you are if you are an older mother, an older woman listening to this, you will, you'll know the state of your own health. You'll know where you're at in your health. Like if you feel good and you're feeling like you've got energy, go for it. Who cares what number, what number you are? You know, there, there's 48 and there's 48, you know. You could be a really young 45 or a really young 50 in terms of your energy and how you feel about yourself and how you see the world and your open-mindedness and, you know, your your enthusiasm for life and your spirit. 
you can be very young at heart and you probably connect really well with a baby. And there could be someone who's 35 and feels very old because they're st stuck in their thinking and they're rigid and they're set in their ways. They're living an old person's life. <laughs> so I'm really big on that. Like I just want to encourage if anyone's listening, you're over 40, especially if you're over 45, you know, don't listen to any of that nonsense because honestly, I'm having the best time. <laughs> And really, I really feel incredibly grateful. I wish I had done it 10 years ago. I wish I had just not waited for that time. I wish I had made some different choices in the relationships I was in that I stayed in much too long and didn't end up creating children. But then when I say that, I think, you know what, I'm actually glad it went the way it did because I love this particular baby. And if I'd done it 10 years ago, it would have been a different sperm. With my eggs and I would have had a different baby and I don't want a different baby. I love this baby. <laughs> <laughs> I love this baby. So when I look back, I'm like, I'm so glad none of those relationships worked out. I'm so glad my first IVF attempt didn't work. I'm so glad my Jesus Donor Egg because I love this little person. She's an angel. In my YouTube channel, I call her Baby Star because she's a star child. So everyone who's interested should go and follow your channel now and get more insights from you. But what a wonderful way to end. And I'm so glad that you got your precious little baby star at oh. the end of a very exciting journey. <laughs> Yeah, I'm honestly, I'm so grateful. And, you know, when you're, when you're changing your nappy, nappy at 3 a.m. and you're covered in stuff and you're just like, I'm, all I think is I'm, I'm going to cry, but all I think is I'm so lucky to be changing this nappy at 3 in the morning. Like, <laughs> that is honestly what is going through my head. I've never had a sort of, oh, God, I can't believe I have to Like, for me, it's like, oh, I'm so lucky. Everything I have to do because of the situation of being so much older and having this donor egg and waiting so many years, like, if you do this as an older person, you will feel so grateful that the way you feel and the way you see things is so dramatically different from someone who's like, oh, God, I'm so burdened by this baby. I wish I was going to travel. You just, you just, it, it's just totally radical different state of mind and I think because of that even if you're not older just being a single mother by choice and making such an intentional decision to go on such an unusual path like you're just and, and having to go through IVF and take hormones like you're just so grateful when you get that baby but if you are older then on top of that you've got the extra fact that you've been trying for years and waiting for years you're just so grateful and so honestly like that that's the last thing I'll say is just I just feel so grateful and I just want to encourage anyone listening to keep trying. But also if it doesn't work out and don't end up having a baby because it just doesn't work, you will actually be okay. Like I know I would have still had a beautiful life, mm -hmm. but I'm just so grateful that it worked out in such a miraculous way that I never could have imagined. As I said, I'd never even had a thought of doing it by myself, let alone with donor eggs. So just, you just never know where life's going to lead. You're just going to stay open. You're just going to stay open. Thank you so much for sharing your beautiful story and I can't wait for everyone to hear it. <laughs> My pleasure. So lovely. Thank you for asking such good questions. I'm Alicia and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.